I have a little mini one, if that's all right. Oh, so you have a mini? You go it right ahead. <laughs> you do your business. Oh, right now? Yeah, oh, okay. absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, I woke up this morning before I even got my eyes open, and it was like victory, you know. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what other gift do you ever get? It's empty. The tomb, you go in, it's empty. And then, you know, Jesus, um, why was the stone rolled away? Because he didn't have to have it rolled away. It was for us to look in. Mm, it wasn't for good. him to come out. <coughs> Because we know he transcends walking Yeah, he walls, could just walk through, through everything. Yeah. So that was oh. for us to be able to look in. Okay? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, what is she? And now, what did I do with my other Peter. Well, I must have left it out in my tech. I mean, my vehicle. I have. I do. Oh. <laughs> you need to go get it? Yeah, I need to go get it. Okay. I'm going to finish my little. My little things. Okay. I thought I stuck at my phone, but I didn't. Okay. What do they call pastors in Germany? Yes, Vickers in England. Shepherds. German shepherds. Which Bible character had no parents? Other than Jesus, of course. Now, he had Mary, you know, father, but like earthly parents. Melchizedek. Joshua, the son of Nun. Uh, the son of Nun. I'm trying to memorize this. And then the final one. What's the best way to study the Bible? You look into it. You look into it. You look uh, <laughs> okay, here we go. Too big for his britches. Um, we're going to start in uh, 2 Kings chapter 13. And uh, we've seen the steady decline of Israel and Judah, right? And uh, Syria has definitely been a, an ongoing enemy. Um, but the Assyrians have now shown up on the scene, and um, they're causing problems. Um, let's, let's, let's get Holy Ghost in. I forgot to, because I'm used to worshiping first. So, Father, we thank you so much that every day is Resurrection Day. We thank you that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is risen and seated right now at the right hand of the Father. We thank you that he's given us his Holy Spirit, that he lives on the inside of us, because we ask Him in and that we be Spirit-filled and Spirit-powered according to Acts 10.38. So Father, we thank You for this morning a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And we ask that You, uh, Holy Spirit, come in and do whatever You want to do this morning. Uh, we give You complete and total control of, of this morning. If you want to switch things up, do something different, we are absolutely submitted to your will. We thank you so much for your word. We ask that you teach us as we learn today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so like I said, I don't do traditional Easter messages. Um, but in, in the, the situation here, we're also seeing not just the Assyrians um, that are coming in and, and basically taking over the nation because of idolatry, 
but we're also seeing the line of Ahab and Jezebel being systematically wiped out. It started with Jehu, and then last week we learned about Ahaziah, right? Was it? No, his mother. Was it Ahaziah? Um, the, the daughter of Ahab and Athaliah. Uh, she was the mother of Ahaziah. She was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, and she was wiping out her entire line. And so they hid one of the kings, and then he um, overtook, and she was killed. But it's, it's interesting that you have Jehu wiping out the line of Ahab, and then you have their own family wiping out their own line. So that's, that's where we're at in this story. And then now we've got Judah that is starting to begin a decline as well. Okay, so now in uh, 2 Kings 13, 1 through 9, it says in the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah. And then Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, began to reign over Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 17 years. So we have Joash, the son of Ahaziah, that was rescued, I believe. Or is, No, this is a different Joash because he's already died. So we have a descendant, descendant of Ahaziah reigning over Judah, and then we have the son of Jehu reigning over Israel. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, which he made Israel to sin. He did not depart from them, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them continually into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael. Then Jehoaz uh, sought the favor of the Lord, and the king listened to him, for he saw the oppression of Israel and how the king of Syria oppressed them. Therefore the Lord gave Israel a savior, so that they escaped from the hands of the Syrians. And the people uh, of Israel lived in their homes as formerly. Nevertheless, they did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin, but walked in them. And the Asherah was, also remained in Samaria. For there was not left to Jeho... Je Man, these names. Can I just call them Jeho? I was saying Jeho. An army of more than 50 horsemen and 10 chariots and 10,000 footmen. For the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like the dust at threshing. Now the rest of the acts of Jeho and all that he did in his might are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Jeho slept with his fathers and they buried him in Samaria and Joash his son reigned in his place. This is sad because this is a son of Jehu. Jehu got rid of uh, Ahab and Jezebel and their line because of the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came because of the idolatry. I just had a question. So all the line of Ahab and Jezebel right here are not completely like that? No. Okay. Mm -mm. And there's still plenty on Judah's okay. side. Yeah, there's still plenty over there. So, well, on Israel, they're no longer in power. Their descendants, some are left over in Judah. But this is not a descendant of Ahab and, and okay. Jezebel. So this is the son of Jehu that was uh, anointed to wipe out that line, and he is going right back to what caused the judgment in the first place. That's why, you know, people are like, well, you know, 
God wiping it, you know, telling people to wipe out entire peoples, this is the reason. This is why. Because once something like this gets into a society pre-Jesus, it's almost impossible to get it out. And that's why a lot of times I will have such concern for our own country. The only difference is we have Jesus Christ, where they didn't have his blood. You know, they didn't have an army of people like we are that follow the Lord or Christ followers. So this is why, because it's like a cancer. You know, they, they talk about cancer, how you have to cut out all the way around into the healthy cells, because if you cut a cancer tumor, it, the, the cells will shed and they'll go off into the body and they'll cause more cancer. They have to grow more rapid. Y yes, it's like a wildfire after that. So, I mean, that's what's happening is, you know, yes, the judgment was them. Okay, God, all he had to do was decree the judgment and remove his hand of protection, and they ended up killing the, themselves even. Were there people that loved Jesus or loved God that were, you know, experiencing hardship because of their leadership? Absolutely. But it was necessary to stop the cancer. And they didn't ever get it. As we know, Israel completely ceased to exist as far as uh, a nation in, in this respect. Uh, they always had uh, puppet kings once they fell, and the same thing with Judah. Now, Jeho, he's the 11th of the 19 evil kings in Israel. So there's a major shift happening in the region during this time. First, he defeated the Syrians that were ruled by Hezael, and then his son, Benadad III. Okay? Now remember, Hezael is the one that was um, considered a nobody, a usurper. He didn't have any claim to the throne, but he took it anyway. Uh, so now Benadad is also ruling... And he defeated them three times, just like Elisha prophesied. But here's a deal. His army went down from 2,000 chariots during Ahab's time to just 10. Uh, the whole of his army was the size of a contingent of Ahab's. But the Lord sent a Savior to escape them because of the repentance of Jeho. But it was brief, and they returned to um, idolatry quickly. And these stories, one thing that stands out to me is how ready God is to immediately deliver, immediately uh, save even the most wicked and evil ruler. The minute they repent, he rushes in with mercy. It's amazing, actually, because I'd be like, you know what? You guys can just put up with it, which is hence why we're not God. You know what I'm saying? So, the Syrian Empire was weakening as well. And interestingly, the Savior that God raised up was Assyria. Did y'all know that? I didn't know that. I thought maybe it was some, you know, Israelite. Some, like they do back in the day of the judges and stuff. I thought that's what it was, but it wasn't. The Savior was Assyria. So, Assyria began to fight Syria. <laughs> so, don't get it confused. So, Assyria is modern-day Iraq. So, they became a superpower, and they're growing in power, and they actually threatened the Syrians if they didn't break off their oppression of Israel. So, at this point, the Syrians, Israel, and then the rulers of Tyre and Sidon were paying tribute to the Assyrian ruler, Adad-Nirari III. So, Assyria is the up-and-coming power that will eventually destroy the kingdom of Israel, even though they're helping at this point. 
And so the one thing to remember about the barbarian mindset is they don't make they don't mind making alliances with people for political and military expediency, but they're just like a lion that's caged. You can never trust them ever. And uh, in fact, I was telling Mike this morning, you've been reading Putin's playbook and uh, how they think, how the Russians think. They have thought the whole time, like from the Tsar regime all the way through to present day, that it is inevitable that we will end up in a kinetic war with them, meaning military strikes, etc., etc. So, get this, what they're doing is information warfare or disinformation warfare. So back in the day, like when Kennedy was assassinated, they started the rumor that the CIA did it. So a lot of people don't know that. Um, they now have the power of the internet and the ability to start Facebook groups and Facebook pages and stuff that appear to be legitimate American things. And so they sow discord and rumors and false uh, articles and things into our culture to cause us to fight against one, one another, like the race stuff and all that. I mean, it's literally documented in their... Um, their um, intelligence, the intelligence community of the government. And uh, so when you are in Russia, you believe that the American media is lying that there's a war in Ukraine. Okay? They don't believe it. It's American disinformation. Okay? So now, I think there's more going on than what we're being told, but... His goal is to use disinformation to tear us apart internally as a country so he doesn't have to fight us kinetically. Isn't that interesting? And they started their uh, work way back in the day, but in the 80s they really amped it up. That's how they control. Yes. And then also in the uh, 60s, the Summer of Love, they saw a perfect opportunity to put in people. They trained them for decades. Um, different people to think American um, because they don't smile in Russia because there's nothing to smile about. So they had to learn to smile, which is one of the hardest things for agents. And uh, so they trained them to think American and then they installed them in universities, government positions, etc. And uh, that way they could learn our culture and begin to foster ideas that were contrary to the Constitution and the way we live. And we're seeing that happen. So it's a very interesting book, and it gets you into the mindset, because it's written by a, per, a lady that was raised in Russia, and she was in the intelligence community, and it gets you in the mindset of how they think. And so when you hear people saying stuff, politicians or news people, that's playing right into their hands, you're like, what are you doing? But here's the deal. They hate Nazis because of Hitler, and they believe Ukraine is like that. Uh, and so they're friends with Israel because of that. Isn't that interesting? So we're seeing the same thing here. Oh, yeah, they're really good friends. Them and Netanyahu. Putin and Netanyahu got along really well. But you have to remember, and nations like that, and even our own country can tend to be this way, that if there's a political expediency, they will go to bed together long enough to get what they want done. And this is what we're seeing with Assyria. So at this point, they're a savior. Later, they'll be the destroyer. Okay, so everybody's uh, paying tribute to them. Verse 10, In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jeho, Jeho, began to reign over Israel in Samaria. 
and he reigned 16 years. He also did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not, did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Nebat, which he made Israel to sin, but he walked in them. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, and the might with which he fought Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles while blah? So he slept, and then Jeroboam sat on his throne. Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Okay, so this is the twelfth king of Israel. This is not the same king as the one that's in Judah. Okay, so that's where, man, you got all these Marks, you got all these Marys, you got all these Johns, right? It's the same thing. These are obviously popular names during that time. Now, this Jeroboam is Jeroboam II, and then through him, there'd actually be a resurgence of power in Israel. Uh, they can come close to their former, former glory. Okay, now Elisha is on his deathbed, okay? Um, so now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha uh, said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrow, arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Draw the bow, and he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands, and he said, Open the uh, window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot, and he shot. And he said, The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians in Apec until you have made an end of them. And he said, Take the arrows, and he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. Okay, first I find it ironic that he's dying from a disease. You know, it's just crazy because he's such a mighty man of faith. And then... Joash obviously saying, my father, my father, the chariots, blah, blah. I mean, it might just be the D in me, but I'm like, what are you doing here? You know? It's like he was more concerned with the chariots than, like, you know, Are you trying to yeah. flatter him? Are you thinking the same thing is going to happen? You're going to get his anointing? I mean, are you just saying that you're dying and you're going to be leaving soon? I don't know. It's just, I'm very suspicious of that. But he's weeping, and I find that very interesting concerning the relationship that Elisha and the kings of Israel had. Like, you, you really care. Well, they obviously knew he was a true prophet, even though they put him in jail and stuff. Or they would put the prophets in jail and kill him. Okay, now the east is for the, the complete victory of the Syrians. But the reason that uh, Elisha got angry at the three uh, uh, arrows is because... Joash, number one, lacked faith. A lack of faith will manifest in a lack of zeal. And so he didn't have zeal. He didn't have, remember like we've talked about, uh, faith without actions? They're dead, right? It's ineffective. The complete or mature uh, example of faith is when you have works or action that goes with it. And so he just, you know, threw three and then he's like, should I do anything else? He looks at him. It's like, you should have the zeal. If I told you that one arrow is going to take out Syria, 
then you should have enough common sense to figure out you need a whole bunch more to defeat Assyria. Okay? So he didn't have any zeal. He didn't put forth any effort because he lacked faith. And he was unwilling to do something enthusiastically, maybe because it seemed foolish. The word anger here refers to anger that arose because people failed to perform their duties properly. And for this reason, he's only going to be able to strike them down three times. Now, if he could have executed his instructions violently and with enthusiasm, uh, Syria uh, would have been defeated permanently. I'm sorry, I said Assyria earlier in Syria. Man, all these Syrias and Joashes and Jeroboams and men. Studying and Kings takes a lot of zeal, by the way. <laughs> Just try preaching it. I mean, it's ridiculous. <sighs> okay, so that's what's going on there. That's why he was angry. He didn't perform his duty because he didn't have faith or zeal. Verse 20, so Elisha died and they buried him. Now, bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen. So the man was just thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as a man touched the bones of Elijah, he revived and stood up on his feet. Now, does anyone else wonder why Elijah wasn't covered? Like, what, how, okay, first of all, he was bones. So he had to be dead for a while, right? And then, was it just open? I mean, did they just take the lid off? Like, how did they bury people back then? Room in a cave and rolled the stone. I was going to say, was he buried? Well, it was, says they buried him. But what's their definition of buried? Because we know that I didn't think they did anything underground. They did it all in tombs. I don't know. Key word, marauding band. Those are thieves. They uh -huh. had grave thieves all over the place. If somebody had jewelry, anything, and put in that tomb, they took the stone off. Took where they could off the body, and they robbed from graves all the time. So maybe he already had so the, the lid off? I don't the, know. The lid or the cover was probably taken because these people came along at fresh graves just to see what they could steal. Mm -hmm. So most likely, in theory, if you want to use that word, his grave had already been looked for anything valuable. Yeah. And nobody paid any attention to put the stone or the lid in. They were mainly carved out. In, or in maybe the they were, um, like they do in, uh, did in Rome and even in Israel, where the bodies were put in like caves and there were more than one body in there. There could be multiple bodies in one tomb. Yeah. I just or find you could it. be rich enough to have a tomb just for you. Right. I think it's funny. Like, here you're dead and then all of a sudden you're not. <laughs> I'd be like, whoa, <laughs> that was the trippiest trip I've ever been on. Might be a little stinky. <laughs> so, uh, now Hazael, king of uh, Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jeho. But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them, and he turned toward them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and would not destroy them, nor has he cast them from his presence until now. When Hazael, king of Syria, died, Benadad, his son, became king in his place, and Jehoash, the son of Jeho, uh, took again from Benadad, the son of Hazael, the cities that he had taken from Jeho, his father, in war. Three times Joash defeated him and recovered the cities. So we, <coughs> excuse me, we see that fulfilled. But it's just, it's, I mean, it's crazy. Like here, you know, he's such a man of faith. He dies of a disease. Now, old age would, to me would be different, but he, he dies of a disease and then his bones resurrect someone. I mean, that's just a little ironic. And kind of sad, actually. I, I hate to see people die of disease. 
But everybody had to die. Something in these days will be translated. This isn't. This is totally off topic. <laughs> but the funeral procession. Mike's on his Harley yesterday. Have y'all ever heard of Harley? Last night. Last night. How loud they are. Like you can, I can hear him over my earphones <laughs> that have noise canceling, you know. Sometimes, if I'm close enough. Anyway, so here he is going for air therapy, you know, wind therapy. And over by the Catholic Church, they're having some procession. I don't know what that is, but there's like 300 people doing a procession down the road. Mike's on his Harley. I'm guessing it has to do with uh, Good Friday and Easter. Yeah. And he's like, he's trying to hide and get around because obviously this loud Harley is now making its presence known on their ceremony. He said, I don't know what they were doing, but... You're in the quiet zone, man. <laughs> <laughs> funny. But what is it? Do they do like some... Well, you know, like they have that walk to... Emmaus type thing. <laughs> and they go to Chim Chimayo and to the Saturday. Yeah. That's a new one to me. Oh. Usually it's Friday, Thursday or Friday. I don't know. Well, it was. It was going on then. What's going Unless on then? Okay, Friday. Well, yeah, Friday. Okay. Yeah. Friday. Good Friday. Yeah. That's probably what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're like a pilgrimage type thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, they hardly noticed. I don't know. I mean, that Harley. And here Mike is with his facial hair. Hiding behind my hand. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, that's funny. Okay. So in uh, 14, uh, chapter 14, so basically it's just disintegrating. And, you know, there's strife and there's war and there's uncertainty and the people are suffering. In the second year of Joash, the son of Je Joahaz, king of Israel, which, if I'm not mistaken, that's the same as Jeho. They just changed the spelling. I swear these people that wrote these books just want to jack with your head. You know, it's like, who the heck is this guy? Oh, that's a different spelling. You know, it's like calling James Jim. Mm -hmm. Why? Where did that come from? You know, it's just crazy. So in the second year of Joash, the son of Jeho, actually, king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother name, mother's name was, forget it, I'm not saying it, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not like his father, David his father. He did in all things as Joash his father had done, but the high places... Uh, were not removed. The people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. And as soon as the royal power was firmly in his hand, he struck down his servants who had struck down the king his father. So remember, Joash is the one in Judah. Now we're in Judah, okay? Who um, brought back worship of the Lord. He got rid of Asherah and all that. So he did like a clean sweep. He got rid of all the idolatry except for the high places. <clears throat> and then he turned on them, remember? And had the priests killed that mentored him he was the one that was hidden as an infant and then he had the priest killed and uh, so then his servants killed him okay uh, but he did not put to death the children of the murders according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses where the Lord commanded fathers shall not be put to death because of their children nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers but each one shall die for his own sin now <clears throat> they just keep doing 
the same thing over and over and over. And this high places thing has been a problem from the very beginning. And it, I mean, it's just like, it keeps causing trouble. So I don't understand it. Maybe someone can enlighten me. <clears throat> but <clears throat> why would you go so far and then stop? You know, why would you get rid of all of the idolatry but the high places? Why would you, you know, it doesn't make any sense. I don't understand what's happening here. It's like a partial obedience thing, unless maybe they thought the high places were okay. Does anybody have any thoughts? The only thing I can think studying this and getting the same thought, like, this is the law to take in, is that a group or a remnant of the people, they've been so used to that, so habitual and going up there and worshiping the pagan gods and stuff. Yeah. They thought they couldn't live without it. Well, and I know some of the high places they would worship Yahweh on. Some did. And so maybe they thought that was okay. Would you wonder? It was a bad mix, though. I mean, it wasn't. Mixture is a good word. You wonder. It's a bad mix. Because even today in in Israel, they're, what is it, a quarter of the people or so aren't Israel. Lights, they're Muslims and stuff. True, and, yeah, which are usually yeah. Muslim, and, and uh, but they are a different faith, and as a result, I think they accommodate them. They say we need to live in peace. So maybe some accommodation there, right? And so I don't know, but I'm suspecting that that accommodation for other religions or a political and, expediency, because exactly. if they tear down the high places, maybe the people would have been so upset. It would have threatened their rule. I don't know. But, you know, that's a thought. That could have been border perhaps. wars. Could have been more border wars, which they still have. Yeah. It's, I, I, it just is amazing. And I understand, you know, like, like people working on stuff. You know, I don't have a problem with that. It just is every single <coughs> chapter says for every single king they didn't remove the high places. And that started all the way with Solomon. All the way with Solomon. It's just baffling. I mean... You cannot cuddle, coddle sin. You have to be ruthless. You have to cut it off. And you have to be willing to go through the discomfort. You know, like we were talking about with the you know, cancer cells. You have to be willing to go with the discomfort of getting that thing out. Because uh, once you get to the other side, it, you're healed. There, it's as if nothing is there. Like we teach um, in the podcast and in our intensive, the gold is where the pain is at. If you'll go into wherever that pain is, wherever it is that you don't want to deal with, if you'll go in there and look at it, that's where you'll find the gold. That's where the life lessons, the transformation, etc. takes place. And so a lot of times people aren't willing to do that. So maybe that's what's going on here is they don't want the pain of political disfavor. Uh, and I do like that he obeyed the law and he didn't kill off the kids. Now he also, in verse 7, struck down 10,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt and took Selah by storm, and called it Jokthil, which is its name to this day. Now the Edomites are the descendants of Esau. And uh, so there's still some things going on there. The Edomites were under judgment too, because when Israel came out of Egypt, they attacked them from behind, like cowards. And what's also interesting is the first non-Jewish king was an Edomite, Edomian. So that's Herod. So he was um, part Jew, part Esau. And uh, that was uh, prophesied in Genesis 49 
that a king would remain between the feet of uh, Judah until Shiloh comes. And Shiloh is literally means to whose it is or to whose right it is, but it also means peace. So peace, you know, a very interesting study would be the study of peace and warfare. Because if you look at how God does warfare, it's from a place of peace. So it's, a, it's an interesting study. Um, but anyway, so he was the first non-Jewish king that, of course, was a puppet king because um, uh, the Romans had control. Okay, now there's more to this story. So let's just flip over a little bit to 2 Chronicles 25. And let's see uh, the behind the scenes. Okay, so in Second uh, Chronicles 25.5 it says, Then Amaziah assembled the men of Judah and set them by fathers' houses under commanders of thousands and of hundreds for all Judah and Benjamin. He mustered, there it is, those 20, uh, 20 years old and upward and found there were 300,000 choice men fit for war, able to hand a spear and shield. He hired also a hundred thousand mighty men of valor from Israel for a hundred talents of silver. But a man of God came to him and said, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, with all these Ephraimites. But go act, be strong for the battle. Why should you suppose that God will cast you down before the enemy? For God has power to help or to cast down. And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what will we do about the hundred talents that I have given to the army of Israel? The man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. So Amaziah discharged the army that had come to him from Ephraim, Ephraim to go home again. And they became very angry with Judah and returned home in fierce anger. But Amaziah took courage and led out his people and went in the valley of salt and struck down ten thousand men of Seir. The men of Judah captured another 10,000 alive and took them to the top of a rock and threw them down from the top of the rock and they were dashed to pieces. But the men of the army whom Amaziah sent back, not letting them go with him to battle, raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Bethlehem and struck down 3,000 people in them and took much spoil. Okay, here's the deal. Amaziah is going to fight the Edomites that we just read. But he needed help because he didn't have enough people. So he hired 100,000 Israelites, it appears from mostly or all of the tribe of Ephraim. And the prophet of God is like, okay, God's favor is not on Israel. If you take them into our battle with you, you're going to lose. So we can't take that chance. That tells us the state of Israel. It's a spiritual principle. If you study Ephraim, y'all know that the tabernacle of Moses was in Ephraim first. Right? So all the prophecies. Remember when Jacob was dying, Joseph comes in, and he can't see very well. And so he puts his hands crossed, and he blesses Ephraim over Manasseh. Joseph's like, oh, no, 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 no. And he tries to put his hands on the right kid, and he goes, I... I can just imagine. Just stop that. I know what I'm doing. You know, like an older man. What are you, you know, cut that out. So he blesses Ephraim. So the lastborn takes precedence over the, the firstborn. And his prophecy is about the presence of God. 
So Ephraim, that tribe, became the place for the presence of God to dwell in the tabernacle of David, or tabernacle of Moses. Eli, during his time, the ark was stolen, right? Eli was severely obese, fell off of a bench when he heard the news, broke his neck, his sons were killed, one of the wives went into labor and named the kid Ichabod. The glory has departed. The ark goes over to the Philistines. While God is camping out at the Philistines, he's having fun with their god, the fish god Dagon, in the temple, knocking him over, cutting off his hands, cutting off his head. People are breaking out in hemorrhoids. That's what that means in the original language. Hemorrhoids. Hemorrhoids. And there was no preparation H back then. Okay? Right. Now, I'm not saying if you have hemorrhoids but you're under a curse, okay? So, they're like, man, they this... Don't worship them. Right. They did. They, did. they, they did. really did. Can you imagine? They used to line them up, they had little statues. Emrods. They were called Emrods. Mm -hmm. No, not kidding at all. Really? So they're like, okay, obviously the God of Israel is causing us problems. So they put the ark on a new... They honored... They put the ark on a new cart, and they... Uh, nursing cows left their nursing right calves and went to the direction of Israel and it dwelt in a house um, for many, many years. From that point on, there was no ark in the tribe of Ephraim. Later, David went and brought the ark into the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of Moses was 10 miles down in uh, Gideon or Gibeon. Gibeon. Okay. So it's in Gibbon. So Jerusalem is always on a mountain. Gibbon was down 10 miles. So there was a separation between the law and grace. Right. And so that's where we get that David saw a future time of grace and he pulled it into his present. So like we're supposed to give sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. He was doing that then. Because once he got the ark in its tent... They didn't do any more blood sacrifices there. They were all done at Gibbon. And so here we have uh, this situation where Ephraim has gone from being the dwelling place of the Lord to where it's so much in the disfavor of God that the man of God is like, if you take these people with you, you will not have God on your side. So, and he invested a hundred talents of silver for a hundred thousand men is a treasure mm -hmm. and then the prophets like God can pay that back and more which I find interesting those people were mercenaries and a mercenary is not always faithful to who no they're not and obviously they were ticked off and they went around causing a bunch of problems but it's 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 sad if you don't you you can't just occupy space you've taken you have to occupy and advance that's the principle so if you look back at um, the moves of God in history, you've got the healing revival. And uh, who was it that, her, that God said, this is the last one I'm healing this way? Um, uh, not Osteen. Oh, good grief. Oral Roberts. He uh, you know, was part of the 19, what, 40s and 50s healing revival. And he was one of the last ones. Him and was it Hagen or Hagee? Okay, Hagen was part of it too. He, was, he and Royal Roberts were one of the few ones that they weren't um, shamed by failure. 
And uh, so he would, had a healing revival meeting, and he laid hands on a, a person, and the Lord said, that's it. And so we, now, that doesn't mean healing doesn't occur. We're just talking on a wide-scale revival-type pattern. And the reason is because man was taking glory from the Lord. They were getting way, like William Branham was way out of line. Jack Coe was mean to people. I mean, it was ridiculous. So anyway, he shuts it down. Then you get doctrine that God doesn't heal. So what happened is we didn't occupy and advance. And then the other thing, spiritual thing, is God thinks generationally, if you're not preparing the next generation to carry on the work, then you'll go backwards. So you can't just stay in one place or you slide back, okay? So that's what's happening here. And they got mad. Well, then it was also a um, confirmation that they weren't to be trusted. Uh-huh, yeah. Mean, and by the way, Seir is Edom, okay? So S-E-I-R, that is in uh, the Edomite uh, land. So that's what that's talking about. Okay, so they plundered, they killed people in villages. This may be the motivation for Amaziah's next attack. Okay, so here we have um, verses 8 through 10. So Amaziah sent messengers to Jehoash, the son of Jeho, son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us look one another in the face. Let's have an, a, a, a mono a mono, right? <laughs> Let's uh, come to Jesus' meeting. So Jeho, king of Israel, sent word to Amaziah, king of Judah, a thistle on Lebanon sent to a cedar on Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son for a wife. And a wild beast of Lebanon passed by and trampled down the thistle. What? <laughs> you have indeed struck down Edom, and your heart has lifted you up. Be content with your glory. You better stay home, for why should you provoke troubles that you fall and Judah with you? Clear as mud. Clear as mud. What's okay. The what is the... I'm going to explain it. You know what I'm saying? Because I read this, I'm like, I, I am lost. Okay. Let me break it down for you. Now, if you were a bully like me when I was in the 7th and 8th grade, and ninth a little bit until I moved here because I was a stinker, but it was equivalent of meet me in the alley after school. Okay? Me and you, right? So that's what Amaziah is saying. He's picking a fight with Israel because of the mercenaries mm -hmm. that attacked his land. Okay? Yeah, so Jeho, the king of Israel, responded with a fable. So here was Josephus, the historian, right, that said uh, that this was actually written in a formal letter. So King Joash to King Amaziah sends greeting. Once upon a time, there was in Mount Lebanon a very tall cypress. And also there was a thistle. And the thistle sent to the cypress, saying, Contract thy daughter in marriage to my son. And while this was transacting, a wild beast passed by and trod down the thistle. Let this be a warning to thee not to cherish immoderate desires, and not because thou hast success against Amalek to pride thyself thereupon, and so draw down dangers both upon, both upon thee and upon thy kingdom." In other words, you're being too big for your britches. Mm -hmm. So the little thistle was de making demands of the tall cypress, mm -hmm. right? Wait, let me make sure I got it right. See yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so he's ba basically saying, you're too little and you're, you're acting like you're big and I'm going to handle you if you're not careful. 
And uh, so just because you had this victory in Edom doesn't mean you'll have victory over Israel. It, it, it really was an unprovoked attack, Amaziah, um, because the kingdom of Israel didn't do the plundering. It was the mercenaries that he hired and then fired. They blamed the whole kingdom. Yeah, and so he was going to go after a whole kingdom, and that wasn't righteous. And so, in spite of all his failures, the other kings saw that he was being prideful, and it actually ended up in him <clears throat> being in trouble. Now, this is definitely a king that executes revenge, but there was also another problem that was going on. So we got to go back to 2 Corinthians Chronicles, and again, behind the scenes. So it's like, you know, on social media, everybody loves behind-the-scene videos. Just think of 2 Chronicles as Instagram behind-the-scene videos. So if you want to know what's going on, you need to go to 2 Chronicles and 1 Chronicles. Okay, so we're going to read verses 14 through 16. After Amaziah came from striking down the Edomites, he brought the gods of the men of Seir and set them up as his gods and worshipped them making offerings to them. That's what I'm saying. It's like, what is wrong with these people? Now, I'm not trying to come from it like in a judgmental way. I'm seriously curious. What are they doing? I don't get it. God literally just helped him win a battle. And he listened. And he listened. And his thanks is to take their gods and worship them in his own country. You have to be a special kind of stupid to do that. Right? You're just, you're not picking a fight with the other king. You're picking a fight with God, and you'll never win. So therefore, the Lord was angry, obviously, with Amaziah, and sent him a prophet. He said, why have you sought the gods of, the pe of a people who did not deliver their own people from your hand? In other words, why are you worshiping the loser? But as he was speaking, the king said, have we made you a royal counselor? Stop. Why should you be struck down? So the prophet stopped but said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to my counsel. So basically he was threatening them. He was saying, you need to be quiet because if you're not, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you killed. But the pride and the arrogance is just literally oozing out of him. So not only do you have him betray God after God helps him win, but then you also have him worshiping the loser. I mean, the mentality back then was whatever country you defeated, your God defeated their gods. Do you think this is an example of offended faith? Because he expected to be able to conquer and not have any, you know, there was still some fallback with the people being killed and plundered while he was doing what he thought he was doing for God. And in the meantime, God was not. He didn't protect he the didn't protect villages and stuff. Else. So I'm wondering if this is an example of offended. He faith. might have twisted it I that mean, way. To me, it's like well-laid plans of mice and men, right? Always go astray. Um, if he would have asked God for the strategy first, then maybe he wouldn't have hired mm -hmm. these mercenaries that then killed his people. So it could be, well, you didn't protect me, so I'm going to worship other gods. That's like a little child. I think it's his own pride. His own pride. Oh, absolutely. Throwing themselves on the floor, having a fit, thinking that's going to get anything done. You know? So it just, it, it's aggravating. I, I don't like betrayal, and that really irritates me. 
Okay, so then um, in verse 11 of 2 Kings, um, it says, But Amaziah would not listen. So Jehoash, king of Israel, went up, and he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another in battle at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his home. And Jehoash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Jeho, uh, son of uh, Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh, and came to Jerusalem, and broke down the wall of Jerusalem for 400 cubits, from the Ephraim gate to the corner gate. And he seized all the gold and silver and all the vessels that were found in the house of the Lord, and in the treasuries of the king's house also hostages, and then he returned uh, to Samaria. So again, there's a backstory. Um, I don't want to turn there this time because it's one verse, but in 2 Chronicles 25, 20, it says, But Amaziah would not listen, for it was of God, in order that he might give them him into the hand of their enemies, because they had sought the gods of Edom. So obviously the worldview of the author is that all of this stuff is you either have God's protection because you're obedient or you don't have God's protection because you're disobedient. And this is the theme that if you're disobedient to God, this is a result you get. Now, Jehoash eventually died. He was buried in Samaria, and then Jeroboam II took his place. Amaziah actually lived 15 more years, but he also was um, assassinated it says in um, verse 19, And they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to uh, Lachish. But they sent after him and put him to death there. And they brought him on horses, and he was buried in Jerusalem with his fathers in the city of David. And all the people of Judah took Azariah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Elath, Elath and restored it to Judah after he slept with his fathers. Um... So, uh, well, I guess I don't have anything to say after that. Okay, so verse uh, 23. In the 15th year of Amaziah, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin, he restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath Hefer. <laughs> <laughs> for the Lord saw the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did in his might, how he fought and how he restored Damascus and Hamath to Judah and Israel, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings? And then Jeroboam II slept with his fathers and the king of Israel, and Zechariah his son reigned in his place. Okay, so this is the Jonah. Mm-hmm. This is the one. And so now it brings a little bit of context, right? So you have the Jonah who went to Nineveh uh, to deliver that word. Like most prophetic people, he saw the writing on the wall. Now, 
you got 40 years here, 50 years there. We're seeing the decline. It's gradual. So you have to understand that when you're in that story, you may not be putting all the dots together, right? That destruction's imminent. Because for God, a day is like a thousand years. And so for, uh, you know, 200 years or more, he warned them to cut it out. That's how long-suffering God is. And then when they would repent, he would deliver them. But they kept making the same mistakes. So I don't think they necessarily recognized all of the upheaval going on around them was actually a sign their country was about to die. So Jonah knows who's going to be the one to take it over. And he maybe didn't need necessarily prophetic insight either. You can literally watch how there's geopolitical positioning and things start changing. You're like, okay, these people right here are dangerous. And so he probably saw that Assyria was going to be a superpower. And he was concerned. So then you have God telling him, go to Nineveh and warn them because of their wickedness and their evil because I'm going to wipe out the entire city. That would have been a blessing. It would have been a blessing. And he wanted that. He, he definitely wanted saved. that. God's heart will probably always freak us out that way. And so he gets, well, he, you know, obviously he gets swallowed by a well, and he's, his hair's bleached, and his skin's bleached, he looks crazy, you know, probably stinks. And he still doesn't want to go. He still doesn't want to go. He gets on the ship, and they're like, you know, it's me, guys, just throw me over. <laughs> Life just sucks right now. And so, you know, but anyway, he finally arrives. Can you imagine? That'd be like some guy that has no melatonin anymore, shows up, obviously was digested partly by a well, and he shows up in the middle of Central Square or Smelling Central whatever and says, you guys better repent because God is going to wipe you out if you don't. I don't know what New York would do, but what Nineveh did, everybody repented. Everybody. They even, uh, they even made the animals uh, fast. fast and have sackcloth. Pagan. Pagan society that ripped babies out of mother's wombs in warfare. Okay, that's what they did. They they wore all black. That's why he went through so much. Just yes. He had only one third of the city. He didn't go away. So here they are pagans, right? They're vicious, and he knew they were going to be the ones. And then he went back and went on a hill. He wanted to see what happened. Maybe God will still destroy him. I hope mm -hmm. so, but maybe he won't. So I, I probably would have done the same exact thing. Literally, if I if I knew that Assyria was going to wipe out my country completely, I probably wouldn't have gone either. I mean, I would have had to have been swallowed and all that too because it just didn't make any sense. So anyway, this is the Jonah. Uh, just to give you context, other prophets included Hosea, Joel, and Amos. And uh, the author of 2 Kings makes it clear that the only reason Israel had not been blotted out at this point is because God said he would never do that. There would always be a remnant. Now, Jeroboam II's wars resulted in a lot of tri uh, tribute coming into Israel's coffers and an enormous prosperity for the noble class only. So poverty and idolatry were still rampant in Israel. But you know another thing I find very ironic is how willing people that didn't know God were to repent and yet the people that knew God weren't. 
It happened over and over and over. Even the Lord pointed it out. God didn't go, the prophet didn't go to, you know, any Israelite woman. He went to people that didn't even know him. That should be a testament to how stubborn you guys are. The uh, the priests and stuff thought they were all that in a bag of chips. You know, that they just thought they had it all covered, that they were good to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was part of a Bible study Saturday, and I was telling them, I said, the thing is, is that you, um, I was telling how we were saying James on Fridays. And uh, I said, the thing is, is that you don't want to have the faith, the level of demons. Because the Pharisees had faith in God, the level of demons. And they were experts in the Word. And by that, they might have trembled. They knew God existed, just like James said demons do. And yet their faith did not transform them. And so that's what we're talking about. You can't take comfort in the label of being a Christian. You take comfort in the fact that you are cooperating with Holy Spirit to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ in the soul. So don't buy into just because you had a prayer you said and even being Spirit-filled that that is all that there is. And you can't hide behind the label. No, no, because God sees all, yeah. right? So anyway, well let's let's take our tithes and offerings, and then we'll um, we'll worship. Oh, okay. I've got my fist deal. I don't know where you're Well, let's that. let's do our tithes and offerings. Now. I want you to okay. before we go um, off offline. So, uh, Father, we thank you so much for the word of the Lord, and Father, just like when Abel knew what to do by offering the firstborn of the flock, and the word says that you you commended Abel. That, and how that literally means you sat back on your throne, you looked around in astonishment, and you said, did y'all see what just happened? I can't help but think you're doing the same thing when you've got this king that you helped win, and then he worships the gods of the foe that he defeated. I mean, I never, and I can tell uh, anybody in this room, we don't ever want to be ones that cause astonishment in your heart by being so stupid. And so, Father, we want whatever, anything, any blinders, any veils, anything that we don't see that's in our soul that would make us numb, that would make us dumb to what you're trying to do, that would deafen us or blind us, Father, reveal it. Be ruthless. Help us to hate everything you hate. Help us to see anything in our thinking that is skewed, that is not a proper perspective and representation of who you are father there is no bad and there is no ugly in you but there is the lion and lions can be scary and we know the fear of the lord will prevent us from sinning but grace teaches us to say no as well so we want both of those we want to embrace the grace that empowers us to be transformed into the image of christ the inner working of the holy spirit that manifests itself outwardly but we also want to walk by the fear of the Lord and understand that you are a God that is faithful even when we are not. And that you're not some cute God. You're not just a friend. You're a friend to those who fear you because that's a proper boundary. So, Father, we don't want to coddle sin. We don't want to ignore sin. We want to make sure that we cut it out. But, Father, even more astounding is your heart of goodness and kindness and that knowing Assyria would be the very one 
that would judge and wipe out your nation. You cared about that city so much that you sent a prophet to cause it to turn to repentance. Father, we don't want any labels of being Christians to make us complacent, to make us uh, not willing to put forth the effort like the king that was supposed to shoot the arrow more than three times. We don't want to get complacent in our faith. We want to always occupy and move forward. But we want a heart that even if we look at people that we think are so destructive, that if you tell us to go to them to offer a word to cause them to repent, that we will be willing to do that. Father, that right there is where faith is required, at least for me personally. And so, Father, we want to be those people. Help us where even our opinions that are out of line with your heart are pointed out. So, Father, we want to give our tithes and offerings to you today. We ask Jesus that you receive them. We are a kingdom of priests. This is our ministry to you and our loyalty to you. And so we give them with a cheerful heart, no obligation, manipulation, nor guilt. We thank you, Jesus, that you receive them. Please uh, help us distribute your funds as you see fit. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if Mike, if you could turn the camera, we'll let, um, oh, we'll let you do your... Okay. Are you ready? We're ready. Okay, well, I've got this probably over a month ago. And um, you can tell because it's written on my little slip that I put hamburgers on. <laughs> and it says really that we need to look at um, some of these things differently. That uh, we need to be a warrior like in our prayer life. And uh, there's going to be a general, unlike any other that's going to catch the enemy's guards off guard. Okay? And I'm going to just ask, um, got your Bible? Who's got a Bible? Roberta, can you look up Psalms 47.5? Diane, can you look up Psalms 61.1? Richard, don't have your Bible. Dorina, uh, Psalm 68.1. And then I'll look up Psalm 2231. 60, what was mine? 61. No, you're, okay, oh yeah. 475, 681, Dorinas 2231. And um, it talks about um, that there's a roar, a and that we need a different kind of anointing and a shout. So read that, 47. Okay. Uh, God ar arises with the ear-splitting shout of his people. God goes up with a trumpet blast. Okay, and that shout right there is, a, is the Hebrew for ruah. Mm. And that means a war cry, victory over the enemy, it's also used as the, when we blow the, when the shofar was blown, it's that same, and it can mean to split the ears with sound. Hmm. So, we're not talking about that you're just shout, woohoo, you know. You're talking about some serious shout. Yeah, hurts the ears. Yes, yeah. hurts the ears. Okay, and then, okay, Diane, can you read the 68 one? Rise up, O God, and scatter your enemies. Oh. Let those that hate 
hate God, run for their lives. Mm. Okay. And that's what it says. If we're able to lift, and it's called a ruah, that's what that, that shout is called in Hebrew, the ruah. If we are able to lift the ruah, God's going to join with us. Hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, oh, I know. I've left out Ecclesiastes 3 8. That one up right fast. Are y'all fast? Okay, Ecclesiastes 3.8. A time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Okay. And, you know, there's a time for all these things. And uh, even if it's not a physical thing, it needs to be no less intense. Okay? Because that's going to determine the uh, destiny of people. If we, the, the war, the battle... Um, that time. Uh, the battle's to relieve the suffering, all right? Um, and we, we've just got to pray with passion and fervent faith. It says, the shout of war is just as terrifying to the ears of demons as it is to human soldiers. Don't let your dignity silence your roar. And uh, that was uh, 1930, let's see here. Okay, it says, and this is taught, the background is, is the Easter message, the, what happens when Jesus was on the cross. It says, when he had sipped his sour wine, he said, it is finished, my bride. Hmm. Okay, then he bowed his head and surrendered the spirit to God. But what we're talking about here, um, it, when it says it's finished, um, he shouted the and it was a one-word thing that meant something, okay? And it said, if, it, if he had shouted the word uh, Greek, in, in the word Greek, it was telealistic. Mm -hmm. Telestai, whatever you say, I don't know what you said. And um, if, and that meant paid a debt in full, and it also can mean to create something, okay? Mm. And then, um, who did I say? Uh, Dorina Psalm 2231? 31. 31. Uh-huh. His generation yet to be born will glorify him, and they will all declare, it is finished. Okay. So, and if it was um, the uh, uh, Hebrew, uh, the Asa is what the word was, but both of those meant a declaration of assignment, a completed assignment. Which had been given. Hmm. Which had been given. Yes. It had been given, and he is declaring that assignment is finished. So that word right there, I think, it just shook the heavens and the earth, and that we should release our ruah, our asah, over our families in America and our other issues, that we need to really have some fervency and some passion when we go to pray and to declare and to shout, you know. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that was um, kind of a different, you know, we have the meek and mild Jesus and he, he's gasping and he gives up his spirit, but he he gave up his spirit with a warrior cry, I think. Well, he did. They, um, they, the language lets us know he actually shouted that. Yeah. He didn't just whisper it. He exactly. shouted that word. Mm -hmm. So anyway. Can you spill that word? Yeah. 
ASA. It's what I I don't know, but I well the it is finished is the T word. Yeah, the one well one is the Hebrew because they don't know if he's shouted out the Hebrew or the Greek. Oh, okay. But if it, either way, it was the same basically message that it was the completion of an assignment. And the, and the creation of and something creation is interesting. Of something. Huh. So we know, you know, and I just, you know, I, you do that pondering, you know, that you have that empty tomb, mm -hmm. you know, and then what was happening in the meantime in the three days. You know, he went down and plundered the enemy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know. The yeah. other things that were occurring that same moment was the earthquakes, mm -hmm. the, the thunder, the darkness. Mm -hmm. God was confirming this the dead is my rose. Yeah. Yeah. And the buildings were cracking and chipping and falling and. And the veil. Yeah, okay. the veil was rent. It's mm -hmm. totally dark by three each night. Mm -hmm. It would be the ninth hour. Yep. In the afternoon, it wasn't nighttime yet. Mm -hmm. It yep. was totally dark. Mm-hmm. Very good. So anyway, God said, go out there to get a food trailer and get your... <laughs> the reason I can barely read it is because I had a... That was my food trailer. Well, that's really, really good. Word. Okay. Can we take these? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, there's that We're song, done. Shout, yes. Shout, Sorry. 